So one of his tests that Yoda gives him is, hey, if you concentrate and you use the power of the force, you'll be able to get your ship up out of the murky swamp and onto dry land so that you actually get back into it and take off. And Luke tries and he does some sort of Yoda, you know, Jedi mind trick thing with it. And, you know, he fails. The thing just sort of lifts out of the swamp and it sinks back in. And it takes Yoda, the little green guy, to actually like kind of step up and use his more advanced and more mature powers that he's learned in the force to actually raise the fighter out and lift it back onto dry land. And Luke, in, in this famous line, Luke looks at Yoda and he's just standing there and there it is hovering above the swamp, his fighter jet. And he goes, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, and that is why you fail. Now, man, let's, let's be careful. You know, we're not trying to draw our faith from Star Wars and the Force, right? But it makes a point. And really, it poses the question for us today, which is, what does it mean to believe in something? What does it mean to have faith that something or somebody is true and have your life or your existence change because of it? And here's the dilemma that you face, and here's the dilemma that I face, and the, the human that all human beings face, and it's that we find ourselves in a place that none of us are faith neutral. It's impossible for us to exist absent of any faith. You may not have faith in the God of the Bible, but it's impossible to not put your faith in something, right? And in fact, not having faith in God is having faith that God is not true. We can't escape it. It's inescapable to come to a place where somebody will say, I don't have faith in anything. Well, that, that's a faith statement that that person just made. Your life is characterized by faith. In fact, all of you live as if many things are true. You all believe that your next breath won't be your last breath. As I said that, you took two breaths. So what I just said was true, right? You all believe that the luxurious chairs that you are now sitting in will hold you up for the duration of the service, right? You all believe that the sun was going to rise this morning, and it sort of did, right? You all believe that. We place our faith in something. We, we put our faith in someone. So last night, I, I walked into one of our upstairs bedrooms that we have, uh, this room that hardly ever gets used. Nobody, nobody lives in it currently. And I flipped the light switch into the up position and nothing happened, right? I put my faith in a light bulb that had already burned out. Now, it didn't cast me you know, into some existential crisis where I now believe that all light bulbs are a sham, right? It actually made me scared because it was dark if I'm gonna be honest with you all, right? But it made me realize that I simply needed a light bulb that worked. But when I walked into that dark bedroom, I flipped that light switch in faith that the light would turn on. I lived and acted as if something were true. You all live, we all live as if something is true. You all have faith. And in fact, that's never really been the question when we talk about faith. 
It's not whether you have faith, it's that you have faith. But the question is, it's who or what do you put your faith in? Now, like I said in the beginning, we took four weeks, we stepped through our statement of faith. So for those of you who are new, we're not an independent church. We're part of a denomination called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And I feel like that just took like a year off my life. That line is, so, that's, that title is so long. Um, but what that, what we did over the last four weeks is look down at the things that we believe are true about what God has told us in his word. But is it just true because we sort of collectively read that statement every week? I had you guys read that statement aloud with me. Is it just true because we, we read it and we say that? True, right? What makes something true and therefore worthy to put your faith in? That's the question that we want to ask and just briefly find some really good answers for. So I want us to first look into how the Bible defines faith. You should have turned to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says it right there in the first verse. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Let me say it again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So here's what we know about faith in this very short passage for us from Hebrews 11.1. It's number one, that only by faith can we receive God's future promises today because it's having the assurance of things hoped for. And then number two, only by faith can we believe that what we cannot see is actually true. So two things this passage tells us. Only by faith can we receive God's future promises today. And then secondly, can we believe that what we cannot see is true? So then it begs the question, what makes something true? Well, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's this. It's living your life with the assurance that the object in which you've placed your hope will not fail. Let me just say that again. What makes something true? It's living your life with the assurance that the object in which you've placed your hope in will not fail. The problem with that statement, the problem that I struggle with, the problem that you struggle with and that all mankind and womankind struggles with is that we don't like things that we can't see. We feel like if we could just get empirical proof, just show me, right? Just show me what I need to see so that I can believe it, so that I can touch it, so I can get a tangible vision for it. We believe that if we could just see things, we'd believe them. And yet over and over again in scripture, we see that seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. So what causes us then to have faith? Well, here's what we see in scripture. The first thing we see is this, is that miracles alone don't cause someone to have faith. And we go to the Gospels and we see the miracles that Jesus did. Or we go after the Gospels in the book of Acts and we see the miracles that Paul did and Peter did and Philip did and some of his disciples. But what we see is that miracles alone don't cause someone to have faith. Jesus raised people from the dead that other people were witnesses of. That wasn't enough to cause people to believe in who he said he was. 
You read through the Gospels, you read about the many healings that Jesus performed, just all of these miraculous healings. Healing people of their sicknesses, delivering them of demon possession. Not everybody believed. And in fact, not only did not everybody believe, but the religious leaders said, hey, this dude is doing these things because he's actually possessed by a demon. That's how, bad, that's how much they didn't believe. Remember when Jesus fed 5,000 people from a loaf of bread and some fish? Not everybody that ate that food and saw that miracle believed. Even the greatest miracles aren't enough to create faith. Turn with me to Luke. I'm going to make a hard left. Go back to the Gospels. Luke 16. And Jesus told the parable. It's called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And again, what we're trying to do is make the argument now that what we see doesn't necessarily equate to what we believe. Luke 16. Picking up in 19, it says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Verse 25, and Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, go back to scripture. Tell them to go back to scripture and read about the things that have become evident. Verse 13, he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's just a phenomenal passage for us to say that even people that saw, and that was obviously a, a, a word about what was to come, even people that saw Jesus die and then be risen again from the dead, even that wasn't enough for some people to believe and to put their faith in Jesus as the Son of God who came down to earth to die and be raised for their sins. Even that was, wasn't enough. Miracles alone don't cause someone to have faith. You know what it also doesn't? Historical 
evidence. Man, if I just knew that, if I, could, if I could just get all the facts on the Bible, if I could just test all of those stories to make sure that they're true, if I could go back through all the manuscript evidence, if I could just get something empirical, if I could get something more scientific, some people might say, then it would cause me to have faith. Except we go back and we read of all all these events that were prophesied about Jesus and then all these events that we read about that he fulfilled in those prophecies and we see that people still didn't believe even though he came and he fulfilled the things that were said about him. In fact, in John 6, it says that when Jesus spoke and he spoke these words that proclaimed this truth, that they should have been waiting for, that they should have known about because they were brought up to know the scriptures. It says that many left him. It was too hard. It was too big of a leap for them to make. So miracles alone don't cause someone to have faith. Even historical, empirical evidence, if somebody were to lay that before you, that wouldn't be enough to cause you to have faith. We also know that experiences alone aren't enough to cause someone to have faith. Some of you have had an experience with Jesus or you've had what many people will call like a faith experience. You've had that experience with Jesus. Maybe it was through a church growing up. You had a moment where maybe you felt something emotional turn inside of you. Maybe there was that moment where it felt like something, you know, some kind of a light bulb went off and it created some clarity in your heart about who Jesus was. Maybe, maybe you feel like you had a moment like that. Maybe it was a moment when you were in, the, in a youth group and you were a teenager or you were a junior higher. Maybe the youth pastor was speaking something and those words crystallized for you and you felt like you had that moment where you maybe believed. Or maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it was at a, at a conference. But you found that when you got old, older, And the arguments just started coming in against what you thought you experienced as true. You went to college, you went to university, or maybe just life got really hard. Maybe you experienced some difficult things that you weren't anticipating. Maybe some tragedy struck in your life caused you to question the existence of God and where he was. Maybe just life happened and those things you experienced as a younger man or a younger woman, they just kind of faded into the background. Maybe you were, maybe you were sort of brought into to different philosophies or different religions that just felt a lot less challenging than Christianity. Maybe you were introduced into some of those things in your life and it caused you to, to, to question what it is that you had believed. Maybe some doubt settled in. If you guys remember that movie, um, The Polar Express, a lot of you are probably going to be watching that over the next few weeks. It was really the story about a boy who had lost faith that Santa was true, right? And so he was taken for this wild ride one night on the Polar Express to be shown that Santa and the North Pole was, you know, indeed the genuine article. And so you're, you're kind of brought into this, this movie where this, this young boy who's coming into that age where, you know, you begin to question those things that your parents told you as being true. And he was finally given this experience to hopefully confirm that, no, it really was true. All the things that you were starting to doubt were actually true until you get to the end, right? And the voice of Tom Hanks, 
America's sweetheart, right? Come, comes on, and he talks about how the boy who was taken for the wild train ride eventually grew up, and he forgot everything that happened. The experience wasn't enough to sustain him. It was just an experience. What we know about faith and what we learn about faith from the scriptures is that miracles alone don't create faith, although God can use those. We know that historical, empirical, scientific evidence alone can't create faith inside somebody, even though God uses those things. We know that our experience alone, our emotions, the way we feel about a particular thing or event that transpired around us, although God can use that, that is not the thing that creates faith for us in our life. What we learn from scripture is that faith is a gift of God that is granted to us because what we see is that nobody is argued into the faith. Nobody is experienced into the faith. Nobody is miracled, I don't know if that's a word, into the faith. Nobody is, nobody is brought into the faith because science proved scripture to be true. What we learn from scripture is that faith is a gift. Faith is a gift of God granted to us. Philippians chapter one, verse 29, for it has been, listen to this, granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Faith is a gift of God granted to you that you should not only believe in him, but also live the life that he lived and at times suffer for his sake. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through nine, Paul says this, listen, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This was not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what we see here is that faith is something that comes to us, not as this emotion or this feeling that just is already existing inside of us and just starts growing and bubbling, but it has to come from the outside of us first so that it is something that grows and matures and materializes inside of us. That's what the Bible says. Faith is a gift from God. So if faith in God is a gift from God, well, it really causes us to question, maybe to ask the question of, what do we do with a gift? What do you do with a gift? You probably got some gifts coming in the next three or four weeks. What do you do when you receive a gift? When you get that gift and it's all wrapped, you don't have any idea what's inside of it, what do you do with the gift? Do you analyze it? Do you say, you know what, I gotta, um, I gotta grab this box, I got somebody that's gonna check it out for me before I open it. Do you analyze a gift? Typically, no. Do you need proof that it's, that it's real? When somebody hands you a gift, do you, need, do you need to know that it's been wrapped properly? Man, I see that you're off here with your tape on the back. And, um, you know, I, I'm questioning now the gift because you just didn't quite get the dimensions right in terms of the way you wrapped it. Too much paper, right? One inch ribbon cuts, right? Like that wasn't happening on the gift. You don't do any of that when somebody gives you a gift. What do you do with a gift? You, 
You just open the box. You open it. You let the giver of the gift demonstrate their love to you. You let the giver of the gift demonstrate their, that their love to you is real from the giving of the gift. All those other things don't convince you that that's a real gift in there. It's the opening of the gift and more specifically, the face of the giver that convinces you that what you hold in your hands is something real and authentic and something that makes you desire to open it. You know, I am more assured of my wife's love for me today than I was on my wedding day. It'll be 27 years. It's hard to believe when you're only 34. <laughs> but it'll be 27 years here in about a minute. Um, but I know more of her love. I'm more convinced of her love. Her love has, has been more demonstrable in my life over the last 27 years than it was on our wedding day when I'd only known her a couple of years and dated her a year, right? Should I not have married her because that love was not as known to me then as it is now? We would say no. I married her believing that our love would grow and would become more real as the years went by. I married her in faith that what I couldn't see in the moment would grow more visible if I took that step of faith on our wedding day. Does that make sense? Many of Jesus' disciples left him because he told them that without him, they would have no life. They would have no hope of eternal life. He spoke what was said, what the Bible calls hard sayings to them. And after they left, after they bailed on him because the words were too difficult, they didn't take that step of faith. They didn't give his words time to marinate in their hearts and see how it worked out in their lives. Because they didn't do that, uh, Jesus asked them, his other 12 disciples who did stay with him, who were all over the map in terms of their faith and their doubt. In John chapter six, he asked them this, he says, do you all wanna go away as well? And then Simon Peter, of all his disciples, this guy, answers him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, where are we going to go? He said, you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One have God. We have come to know. You know what's in that language, that come to know? It, it, it doesn't mean that they'd gotten all the way to the end of their faith journey. That come to know means that it was a becoming. They were becoming to know. Because they were putting their faith in the object, in the person of Jesus Christ, it means they had something that wasn't just going to that they were not just going to hit a wall with, but it was something that was going to extend and mature and grow. Why? Because they put it in the object of their faith that would allow it to do so. And in fact, the words of Jesus would become more true for Peter as he lived them out with the faith that he had received as a gift from God. 
Did, did Peter at that moment believe in Jesus as much as he would have years from then when he wrote those letters that we read that speak of what it means to hope and believe in God through suffering? He didn't. But he had decided in that moment to put his faith in the demonstrable character and words of Jesus. What this means is that the love of God, listen to this, that has been poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit is a love that will grow as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And by the way, the eyes and the affections of your heart will grow in your love for him as well. But how else would that happen unless you first receive that gift and enter into that relationship with him? If faith in Jesus is a gift, then some of you need to open it. You need to be willing to risk a bad faith experience. You need to be willing to risk maybe some disappointment because you prayed for something. You prayed for a miracle that never happened. Some of you need to be willing to risk an experience with another Christian that was horrendous. Somebody who didn't live out their faith the faith that they claimed they possessed to you. Maybe you were damaged badly by another person that professed faith in Christ. Maybe you were just disappointed horribly from someone who said, no, I believe in Jesus. And they ended up being anything but Jesus in the way that they treated you. Maybe it's time that you come into contact with the Jesus who said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's funny when you look at the people who left Jesus, right? Only because you can't really look at them because nothing really has been written about them. We don't know what happened to them. Maybe some of them came back, they became followers. I'm sure that happened. But for the ones who, like Peter, said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. There have been volumes written about how they changed the world now, does belief in Jesus mean that you will change the world? Not necessarily, but it does mean your world will be changed. It means you will receive a preview of the world that was always intended for you because of Jesus Christ. And then after this world, a world without end with Jesus Christ. So next week, we're going to start our Advent series, and it's just called The Advent of Jesus Christ. Got really original this year with the title. And uh, we're going to look at really at the four themes of Advent. We're going to explain what those are next week. But they're, but they're these four themes, hope, peace, love, and joy.
What's interesting about those four things is that these are the things that will grow in you when you receive the gift of faith that Jesus offers to those who embrace the hope of his coming. What else do you hope will happen as the new year approaches? What would you say those things might be for you? Some of those things you hope will get better, right? You have things that you hope might get better. Maybe it's a needed job, right? Maybe for some of you it's that, man, I just having a hard time with some of my kids. Love for some of them to mellow out a little bit. Would love for some relationships to stabilize. Man, I've been suffering through some, some health things. I would love for that to improve. Maybe some of you have just experienced some grief that you hope you just might get some, some time in and that would level out and you get some perspective in. There are things that you hope will get better as we go into 2022. Not bad things either. But here's the question. Are those things enough? Is it enough for those things just to get better? To put your faith in the hope that just those things get better? Because this time next year, you'll likely need a new version of those same things to improve, right? Peter said that only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Will you attempt to place your faith in something less secure? The invitation for us today is to receive the gift that is faith. Unwrap it. Open it. Become acquainted with the person who gave it to you at the cost of his own life. I don't know that we understand what a gift is anymore. I'm going to sound like the mad dad right now, right? When we open gifts now, the first thing we look for is the receipt, isn't it? Well, everybody just got quiet on that, right? Why? Why, why is the first thing we open a gift, we're kind of, we're, you know, I hope the gift receipt, I don't want to have to go through that awkward thing where I ask them for the gift receipt. I hope they just tuck that thing in at the bottom of the box so that it's available for me. But why is the first thing we look for when we open a gift that somebody gave to us, why is the first thing we look for the receipt? Because we've made it about the gift rather than the giver who is, by the way, the real gift. It's the person who thought of you and cared for you and loved you and sacrificed their time and their resources to buy you the gift. That's the gift, right? We know that the only receipt that comes with the gift of faith is one that says paid in full. That's the only receipt at the bottom of the box that comes with the person of Jesus Christ. Well, Ronnie, where, what about doubt? What about the doubts that I have? Is there a place for doubt? There is a place for doubt. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. In fact, it can be what God uses to reaffirm your faith if you live as if the gospel is true. Doubt has no power to derail God's faithfulness. We read in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, a father who had a son who had an unclean spirit. And the disciples 
with the power that Christ had given him, they tried to remove this unclean spirit from this man's son. They weren't able to do it. And we see Jesus coming to the father and we see the man saying, if you can, can you relieve my son of this unclean spirit? And, and Jesus replies to him and he says, if you can? And the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's what doubt is. Doubt is that tension that we all experience between faith and unbelief. It's that middle ground that says, I believe in you, Jesus, but I doubt. But what we see here in scripture is that Jesus doesn't treat doubters with disdain. He receives them. He calls them in. He brings them closer. If they're willing to stay and wait and listen and see, he draws them nearer to once again affirm that what they're placing their faith in and more specifically who they're placing their faith in is true and it's real. Remember Thomas when he's in the room Jesus had risen from the dead. Disciples, all of his buddies had told him, Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know where Thomas was, but he hadn't yet seen Jesus. And he's saying, look, man, unless I can see the marks in his hands, in his feet, and on his side, I'm just not going to believe. Man, I need some proof. And so Jesus comes in and Jesus says, feel my side, touch my hands. Thomas, I'm right here. It's interesting how he could have reacted to Thomas. What does he say? He says, Thomas, I'm right here, brother. Feel the marks. Open your eyes. Remember what I said. And then he said this. Have you believed because you have seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That would be us, because we didn't exist back 2,000 years ago to be able to see Jesus in the flesh like many of these men and women did. So what do we do when doubts start to crowd in? Well, we remember something that D.A. Carson said that Scott alluded to when he said, it's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. And you are, ne you are never going to wake up with a full tank of faith, right? You just aren't. You're going to have days where you, where you have more faith than you do on other days. But that tank will not be topped off until we are in heaven and in glory with Christ. So every day that you exist, you do not have as much faith as you could have. And just let that remove some weight and burden because it's not the intensity of your faith. It's the object. It's who that faith is placed on. So what do you do when doubts start to crowd in? Well, you pray. You acknowledge the weakness that exists inside of your sinful soul that causes you to doubt and not believe the words of God the way you should. And you know what happens in that moment? As we wait as we sometimes go through anguish in those moments and those seasons of doubt, God does a work. 
God strengthens our faith again. You know how he most, how he most often does that? Is he, he does it through one another. He does it through our church community. He brings people alongside of us to walk with us like we just sang. How does Jesus walk with you? He walks with you most tangibly through the people who are surrounding you. And they remind you once again, it's okay to be weak. I'm here to help hold you up when your faith is weak. So we pray that we don't slide into unbelief, understanding that God is compassion. He's compassionate for us when we do. We get close to our friends in community. We fight. Man, faith is a fight. Timothy, uh, Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. But even a good fight is a fight. You know, when you watch the boxing match and the next day at work, everybody's like, man, that was a good fight. It was still a fight and people like got hurt, right? It's still a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't have expectations that your faith doesn't include a fight. That's wrong thinking about what our faith is supposed to be. And here's the final thing. Remember Listen to this. Remember that Jesus is praying for you that your faith would be strengthened. Robert Murray McShane, theologian, he wrote this. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet, distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Isn't that phenomenal? 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ, claiming to be God, died on a Roman cross and was seen, we're told, by over 500 witnesses following his death. What happened in the aftermath of that was that the world was forever changed by people who received that work of Christ as a gift of faith granted by God. Romans eleven thirty two. I'm sorry, uh, Hebrews eleven chapter eleven. Let's go back to Hebrews and read about some of these men and women. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 32 of chapter 11, what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell. And he's talking about these men and women of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong, out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, 
did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The world was forever changed by these men and women who through just unimaginable circumstances received this gift of faith and allowed it through those circumstances to grow and to mature and to make demonstrable the promises of God in their life, even though the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ was years and years into the future. How much more you and me when now we look back on what Christ has done and we see the evidence of it that rises in our hearts, not just because of miracles, not just because of historical, empirical, and scientific evidence, not just because of the experience that we have, but because we have a spirit inside of us that says, hey, Ronnie Martin, it's true. And hey, Ronnie Martin, you're standing in the company of those same people that suffered for the sake of the belief and the hope that they placed in God. Believe in Jesus today. Embrace the gospel. Commit to the one who died so that you might live and have life more abundantly. Receive the gift of faith. Live as if the gospel is true. Let his words become more true as his love grows in you. And when you are weak, he will be strong. And when you doubt, you will receive the comfort and the confidence that comes from standing in a faith that God has given you and that is holding you up in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that faith is a gift because if it wasn't, we would never get it in the first place and if we could, we'd lose it. So we thank you for the strength and the encouragement that comes by learning that grace is a gift of God so that we might not boast, but we might glory in you. So I pray that we would do that now, being reminded and strengthened in our faith, in our weak faith, Lord, that it has been given to us by you and you were the one that keeps it secure in us. Thanks that we rely wholly and totally and completely on you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.